So we're in Parshas Vayechi, and this is the Rebbe's teaching from Tavshin Nun Beis. Um, and it's the last Parsha of the first book of the Torah. So Parshas Vayechi is the last, bo- last Parsha, last Torah portion of Genesis. And it's a fascinating Parsha. There's so much here and like where to begin. But uh, very interestingly, the Rebbe notes in a footnote... Uh, on the uh, on this teaching, that this that it's a completion of the first of the five books of the Torah, Genesis. He calls the book of Genesis from the Torah is called the book of the upright, the book of the the upright ones. Who are the upright ones? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the patriarchs. The matriarchs are a sign and directive for the children. That whatever the why do we learn these stories so intensely in Hebrew school and when we're young and we focus a whole book on this narrative. The book is not the Torah is not a book of narratives. It's not a history book. But what it does is it gives us direction. It gives us a signpost by how we should live our lives, a measuring stick, sort of say. And it also encourages us in the way we as Jewish people can conduct ourselves. For all of us are really the children of Israel. So in this week's parsha, we have Yaakov's passing, Jacob. Israel's passing, and Yisrael passes away, and this power that he conveys to his children is really conveyed throughout the rest of the four books of the Torah that follow afterwards, and they also influence the entirety of the Torah, going all the way to the prophets and the writings, and all the way to the Divrei Ayomim, the end of the biblical canon, the end of the closure of the Bible, the closure of the Torah, by our sages. And they really go to all generations. It's not just a one-time thing. It wasn't just a historical event that happened 3,000, 4,000 years ago. It's something that really informs our lives today. And really, if you could, what characterizes this the best? The name of the Parsha. The name of the Parsha is, and he lived, or he is alive. It's an amazing thing. He passes away in the Parsha, but yet says he's alive. Immediately you have a contradiction. But what does it come to do? Since and Yaakov lives and he lives, comes to show us that the life of a righteous person is not merely in the life of the body. When he passes away, you know, 120, we should live till. The righteous is not just the life of the body, but it's the life of the soul. And not only the life of the soul, but how that soul and body, that lifetime, transfers through the generations is given forth through the generations. It's like is a transmission, eternal transmission to all Jewish people throughout every generation. And so this, that the book is called, the book ends with his passing and called and he lives, means that his life is a transmission to his children. And even more so, what was his name? His name is Yisrael. We're all named Israel. We're Jews. We're named, we're called by his name. So this is even more of a, a, a deeper connection because we're all the sons and daughters of Israel. And the life that he that culminates in this parsha really shows on life. Really shows on liveliness, not, God forbid, death. So the book that ends with this attribute is that he lives is a continuity that transmits to every single generation. But let's start off practically. The Torah, although we're saying, we're expounding upon it, doesn't go out of his literal understanding of what happens in this week's Parsha. He does pass away, but he conveys his power to his 
sons and two grandsons. He conveys blessings to Yosef, Shimon, Levi, all the 12 tribes of Israel. And he conveys a blessing to them throughout the generations, so much so that he gives a blessing not only to Yosef himself, but to Ephraim and Manasseh, his two grandsons. The two children that Yosef had, Ephraim and Manasseh, he says, will be to me like Reuven and Shimon. They're like sons to me. These are not just grandsons to me. These are sons to me. Maybe you guys have that wonderful relationship. But it means to say is that the 12 tribes of Israel encompass all the Jewish people. As we know, Judaism comes from our mom. Your mother's Jewish, you're a Jew. The tribe comes from the father. The tribe comes from the father. So the all-encompassing energy of a Jew comes from mom. But the detail comes from the father. The, the category, sort of say, of Jew comes from the father. Today, we don't know what tribe we're from anymore. We don't know what tribe. Unless you're a Kohen or a Levi, right. then you know you're from the tribe of Levi. But most of us just call ourselves Jew, Israelite, a Jew. So we don't know. When Mashiach comes, once again, he'll be able to tell us what tribe we are from. We'll be able to know, once again, our genealogy and be able to say, you're from the tribe of uh, Shimon, I'm from the tribe of Yoda, she's whatever tribe we're from. And that tribe goes according to the father. So here we have the father conveying blessings on all 12 tribes of Israel, thereby encompassing the entire Jewish nation. Because one, we're from some tribe. We're from a tribe. So there's a famous saying in the Talmud. So that's the simple explanation. The simple explanation gives a blessing to his children and the 12 tribes of Israel. But that blessing encompasses all the Jewish people until the end of all generations. But there's an amazing teaching in the Talmud, in the Gemara, and in the Zohar as well, from the Parsha, as explained by Rashi. The sages say, Yaakov Avinu Lomes. Jacob did not die. Not only does it say, he lived through his generations. It says, literally, he did not pass away. Mm-hmm. And it says, just as his progeny are, progeny are alive, his children are alive, his offspring is alive, so too he is alive. So the a life of Yaakov is an eternal life. The life of Israel is an eternal life. And it continues to his children and his children's children throughout all generations. So therefore, his children are alive. What does it mean to be alive as a Jew? Oh, I was born? Okay, what's the novelty? So what? Just, you know... I always tell the uh, metaphor, if you go in Times Square and you say, okay, you had a loudspeaker and you say to the, how many, like, you know, 40,000 people in Times Square, however many people are there, and you say to them, raise your hand if you're a descendant of Julius Caesar. If you know you're a descendant of Julius Caesar, probably zero people will raise their hand. Raise your hand if you know you are a descendant of King Ferdinand and Queen Isabella from Spain. How many raise their hand? Probably zero. Let's get more present. How many are you are descendant of the Tsar of Russia? Maybe there's one. I don't even know. But Stalin, descendants? No, zero. Raise your hand if you're a descendant of Hitler. God forbid. How many people would raise their hand? Probably nobody. Is there really one? I actually was at college with a girl who was a descendant of his wife, uh, Eva Braun. Yeah, she was. She's from Michigan. She was a descendant from her. 
nice person. <laughs> but she was descendant. But, you know, maybe you'd have one or two or three people, four people. Now, and go now say, who's a child of Abraham? 4,000 years, not 400 years like Queen Isabella and Ferdinand. 4,000 years ago. You'd have a lot of Jews raising their hand. Child of Israel, a lot of people raising their hand. Child of Sarah, a lot of people raising their hand. Rebecca, Rachel, Leah, we'd all raise our hands as Jews. What does it show us? It shows us that not only are we alive because, thank God, God preserved our lineage, but our livelihood comes from knowing where we come from. We have to study Torah. We have to do the mitzvahs. We have to be able to live as Jews. It's not enough just to be an alive Jew because of a descendant of. But I have to also say that I exhibit liveliness as a Jew. What does it mean to exhibit life as a Jew? It means studying Torah. The Torah is called Ki Heim Chayenu Ve'erech Ya'amenu. It is the life and length of our days. Our days are filled with Torah. The way we eat, the way we sleep, the way we drink, the way we dress, the way we conduct ourselves, the way we give tzedakah, the way we deal with day-to-day life is Torah mandated. The Torah gives us the, the, the blueprint for life. So when you say, how do I know a Jew is alive? You don't just say, well, you know, I'm alive. But you say a Jew is alive by the fact that they study Torah, then they do mitzvahs. So Hashem gave us a vehicle, or really gave Yaakov, Israel, a vehicle, to know by which his children are alive. The vehicle for eternal life for Yaakov, for Jacob, is the Torah. Meaning to say, if someone could say to you, here is a serum, you could take this and you live forever. Like famous stories and narratives and movies and everything. Talk about eternal life, the, the, the fountain of youth people look for. But if someone could give you a serum and say, here's the drop of what it is to have eternal life. Guess what? God gave that to Yaakov. And he gave it to each one of his children. He says, here is eternal life. And the, the serum is the Torah. He says, here's the drop. Here's the thing that you're able to keep and you will live forever. You will live in eternality. And this vehicle for Yaakov's life to continue and the life of everybody who calls himself Jew to continue is the Torah. And so at the conclusion of the Torah, each book in Shul on Shabbos, hopefully we'll see you on Shabbos, no, is that we say at the end of each book, and it only happens five times a year, Chazak, chazak v'nischazik. Strengthen us, strengthen us, and we will be strong. We ask God, strengthen me, and strengthen me, and we will be strong. At the end of every book. The ever, the, every book of the Torah. We finish the Torah every year. So five times a year we make this exclamation. So this Shabbos we do that. And it's the end of Parshas Vayichi. What does it mean? And he lived. So the life we are saying at the end of this parsha, giving strength for all the Jewish people, for all generations, to keep the Torah, to get this elixir of life called the Torah. And so there's no coincidence in when the Torah is read. Everything is precise. Everything is clearly laid out. Everything has a specific reason why the date, why the Torah portion, why we say chazak on this parsha, strengthen us on this parsha, not another parsha. And the relationship is inherent in every single Jew.
that Yaakov gave us this power. And so there's this amazing, what's the word, conveyance, like bequeathing of power that Yaakov gave to us. It's interesting. The first line we teach a Jewish child when they're born is not Shema Yisrael. It's Torah, Tziva, Lanu, Moshe, Marasha, Kehilas Yaakov. The Torah which God commanded Moses is an inheritance of all the people of Jacob, of all the people of Yaakov. It's a beautiful thing. We're called in this sentence the people of Yaakov. We're Yaakov's people. We're not even called Yisrael, we're called the children of Yaakov, of, of Yaakov. It's very interesting though. Why don't we use a line that talks about God? Why do we talk about Torah? Why do we talk about... We don't say God. We say the Torah, which God... We just say God. It's, it's a it's, um, pronoun. It's, we say the Torah that was commanded to Moses, inherently by God, was given to the Jewish people as an inheritance. And we're called B'nai Yaakov here. This is the first thing. The Torah belongs to every single Jewish man, woman, and child. Judaism is not a religion. I hate when people call me clergy. You want to insult me? Call me clergy. In Judaism, we don't have clergy. Yeah. We don't have that. In Judaism, we have Jews. That's it. Yeah, you have a rabbi. You also have a lawyer, a good doctor. <laughs> but a rabbi is just a teacher to teach Torah. He's just to convey the Torah, to teach it, to help you with the laws. If you have a question, is this kosher, is this not? Can I do this on Shabbos? Can I not? Is this How much tzedakah should I give in this situation? What All these different things... You have a question in your studies, call a rabbi. Fine. There's no such thing as the haves and have nots. There's no such thing as the upper and the lower in Judaism. There's no pyramid here. Every Jew has full access. Judaism's open source. And what is it even more? An inheritance. What is an inheritance? Why does the sentence Torah Siva Lanu Moshe Morasha Kehilas Yaakov Morash means an inheritance? A Yerusha? What is an inheritance? If a person has one child and God forbid passes away and that child is brilliant he gets the full inheritance. If that child is less than brilliant gets the full inheritance. If that child is rich gets the full inheritance. If that child's poor gets the full inheritance. An inheritance does not matter how you behave. Just based on the fact that you are an inheritor a person puts you in their will or you're a next of kin means to say you get. The smarter doesn't get more than the not smart. A true inheritance is conveyed to the person not based on characteristics, not based on talents or skill sets or their lack thereof. An inheritance is given for no other reason than you exist. Mm-hmm. And if a person is one day old, or a person's 120 years old, they still get the inheritance. They still get the inheritance. A baby gets an inheritance from their parent. A one-day-old gets the same inheritance if that baby grew up to 120. Whatever that money is, that, that inheritance is, they get it. What does it show us? It shows an amazing thing. That a one-day-old baby and a 120-year-old great sage of Israel both have the same Torah. Both get it as an inheritance. I ask my Hebrew school kids all the time. I say, whose Torah is it? My Torah? You see all the books in the room. You know, you see the Torah in my, uh, my shul. What, you know, uh, is it mine more than yours? The answer is no. 
So Yaakov, we say, this is the Torah that God commanded Moses, is an inheritance of every single Jew, regardless of status, stature, talents, skills, or background. This is a very beautiful thing. So we're going to skip a little bit, and we're going to skip to... Because this was... Uh, some of the teaching is from last week on the 10th of Teves, the fast day. There's a quote-unquote minor fast day of uh, last week. So we're going to skip to... Page 280. 280. Sorry. So at the bottom of page 280, we go from the end of the first book of the Torah to the last. We show the connection. The connection is the connection to the end of the first book of Torah, Parshas Vayechi, where we say, strength, be strong, be strong, and we will be strong, connects to all the books of the Torah which will follow, like we said. And since the book, first book of the Torah tells and ends with the Jewish people final, first entering the land of Egypt, the beginning of exile, there was not yet a slavery yet. They went down willingly, or kind of willingly. There was a famine in Israel, so they went down there. And we hear about the passing of Yaakov being placed in a coffin in Egypt and thereby beginning the exile. If you want to calculate how long the Jewish people were in exile and diaspora in Egypt were, we can count from when Yaakov is passed away. We can count from then. That began the exile. And then we give the names of the children that came into Egypt. There were 70 Jews who went into Egypt. One girl was born on the threshold as they went into Egypt. There were 70. So we have this conveyance of strength ending this book. Because it says now the next book is going to begin when the Jewish people are in diaspora. Now the next book is not going to begin in a positive light. Genesis began in the beginning. God created. Beautiful. The next book begins with our beginning of diaspora. And if you read next week's Parsha, you, be, you hear anti-Semitism for the first time in the Torah. Pharaoh says the Jews are foreigners amongst us. They're going to rally against us. They're going to go against us. They're going to rebel. They're going to be their side with our enemies. So here you have this transition. But what does God insert in that transition? Be strong, be strong, and we will be strong. We get that strength. We get that conveyance of strength. This, we need a source of strength in exile. As Jewish people right now, right before Mashiach, for sure we need strength. For sure we need strength as the last moments of exile we're experiencing it. And the ascent from exile until Mashiach comes, we need that last push of strength to push us over. But it's a very interesting thing. What is the last sentence in the Torah? We just finished the first book of 24 books of the entire biblical canon called the Tanakh, Torah, Nevim, Kisuvim. What is the last line in the book of Divrei Hayomim? The last line is spoken by Cyrus, the king of Persia, clearly a non-Jew. And what does he say? Hashem, the God of heavens, 
Hashem is God. He calls him God and says he acknowledges one God. Has commanded me to build for him a temple in Jerusalem, in Jerusalem, in Jerusalem. Whoever amongst you is his nation, may Hashem his God be with you, and let him go up. This is the last line of the Torah. I'll read it again. Hashem, God of the heavens, has commanded me to build him a temple in Jerusalem. Whoever amongst you is of his nation, may Hashem, his God, be with that person, with him, and let him go up. Let him take part in the building of the temple. Let him leave Persia and go to Israel. Build the holy temple in Jerusalem. Very beautiful, positive message. Very positive message. Meaning to say that the ascent that the Jewish people experienced from exile into redemption to build the holy temple is more lofty than the previous, even first temple. The splendor of the last temple with Mashiach is greater than the first and second temples combined. So here you have this amazing thing. The first words of the Torah is in the beginning God created. And the last words of the first book are, right, the Jewish people are finally in exile. But here the last one says, let him go up. Let him leave. And it gives Cyrus, the king of Persia, encouraging belief in one God, blessings from one God onto the Jewish people, and the ability to go back to our homeland and build the third holy temple in Jerusalem. Where does this strength come from? What traversed literally thousands of years from the beginning of the world until the end of the biblical canon? Thousands of years. What was this? Yaakov is alive. Jacob is alive still. The whole theme of the Torah from the beginning bar to the end bar. You know, it's like a song, right? A song, you have the beginning, the opening lines, the opening music, then you have the middle, you have a refrain, and then you have the closing movement of the song. So this song, if you said, what was the song of the Torah? The Torah is actually, in the end of the first five books of the Torah, it says, write for yourself this song. It calls the Torah a song. So if you said, if there's like a song, if there's like a sonnet or like a, a, an operatic, or even a rock song, whatever it is, Every song is a beginning, middle, and an end. And there's a refrain that repeats sometimes and sometimes not, but there's certain thematic things that go throughout the course of that song that tie it all together. So you say, what is the theme? What is the narrative? What is the thread that goes through the entire Torah? Is that Jacob did not die. Israel is still alive. Yaakov Avinu, Yaakov our father, Lomes, did not die. Meaning to say that the loftiest spiritual heights of such a great man like Yaakov has transcended all generations to the bottommost level, the depravity that the Jewish people experienced in exile in Egypt and then in Persia. And then eventually there is the elevation afterwards. There's this final elevation. The last words of the Torah are, let him go up. Let a Jew go up. Let a Jew ascend. Obviously, the implication is go to Israel and build the Holy Temple in Jerusalem, but it also shows us that the leaving of, of exile, of diaspora, is the end game here. And therefore revealed by the forcefulness of the presence 
of the truth of Yaakov. Yaakov is called truth. If he said, what attribute is Jacob? Some say beauty. But really, it says, Titan emes le Yaakov. Yaakov was given emet. He was given truth. You know what the word emet means? It means true. How do, what is truth? The word in Hebrew is aleph, mem, and tov. The first letter in Hebrew is aleph. The middle letter is mem. Mm-hmm. And the last letter is tov. Mm-hmm. And if you take the middle, beginning, middle, and end letters of Hebrew, you get truth. Truth is not just a convenient thing to get what we want, to manipulate the politics, to manipulate people. Truth is beginning, middle, and end all the same. Consistent, constant, and immutable. Cannot be trans- cannot be corrupted. So it says God gave his truth to Yaakov. Titan emet Yaakov. He gave his truth to Jacob. It's an amazing thing. He conveyed truth. Also, if you look at it, what is truth? You need three legs to make something stand. You need it. For a table to stand, you need three legs. Two legs and a table just wobbles over. But if you have a circular table, you have three legs, it's able to stand on three legs. Three is a chazaka. Three is a strong point. When you have three, there's a firmness, there's a, there's a, a permanence that exists in three. And Yaakov is the third father. Abraham, Isaac, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob is the third of the forefathers. So God gives him the truth. He is the final leg to make the stand, so to say, of the Jewish people exist. He gives birth to the 12 tribes of Israel. And therefore, his eternal existence is conveyed in a parsha in which we na- the narrative is of his death. It says, Yaakov Avinu Lometz. And that is why, in fact, it is from Yaakov that the strength for the Jewish people goes out. We don't say it about Abraham. We don't say it about Yitzchak, but we do say it about Yaakov. So it's very interesting when we see that the descent of exile culminated with his death, but the power to survive that exile and eventually go up comes also from Yaakov. Right? So the horrible hardships of Egypt took place right when he passed. But his passing was a conveyance of life to not only cause that they could withstand the hardships of exile, but also eventually ascend. And so the true fortitude and eternality of the Jewish people is revealed, the ascendancy, when Mashiach comes. What confirms it all? What's the final uh, stamp of truth? It's Mashiach. When Messiah comes, he'll say the Torah is true. The world is false. And the Torah is true. And the Torah will come to correct the world. The world's not bad. Right, that's a very interesting thing. What's more revolutionary? To say the world's a bad place or a good place? You know, it's very easy to make fun and say the world is all bad, you know, that, that everything is going to the world's worst way. It's very easy. People have been saying that for 5,000 years. The world is bad. It's more revolutionary to say the world is a great place. It's a good place. It's just up to us to do the work, like you said before. We have to do the work. It's a very interesting thing. There's a very little known mystical um, day that's right around this time of year. No, like go to an Orthodox Jew and ask them if they know about this. They probably don't know about it. When Adam, the first man, 
was living in his first year of life and he was outside the Garden of Eden, right? He was after six days and he ate the, the tree. They were kicked out of the garden. So what happened? He went outside. He experienced nature, the full brunt of nature. Comes the winter, and he sees the days are getting shorter. And he despaired. He said, maybe there's punishments for eating the tree. Me and Chava, me and Eve will be, the sun will burn up. He's seen fire, and fire extinguishes eventually. He sees the fire in the sky. He sees the sun. He says, nature is not permanent. I know that. And the sun is slowly going out. Each day is getting shorter. You want to talk in uh, secular terms, you know. September, October, now November, the days are super short. And by December time, the days are super short. And he was despairing for his life. So eventually the days will go down to zero and it'll be nighttime and the sun will burn out and I'll die. The crops will die, the food will die, everything will die. But then something amazing happened. Comes a time in December and he saw the day was a fraction longer, a minute longer. And he saw that the sun is going to come out again and the days are going to start getting longer. And it's just a cycle of seasons. And he wasn't used to that. He'd never seen that before. So you know what he did? He made a Yom Tov. He made a holiday that the day, the equinox of this time of year, when the days start getting longer, he made a Yom Tov. He made a holiday. We don't do anything to celebrate it. We don't do anything to commemorate it. It's a mystical thing. Very few people know about this. Like, I don't know, you know, you go up to a Jew on the street, I don't know if they would know it. Or it's even a religious Jew. But it's a very interesting thing. But what does it show us? It shows us that nature and the cycle of life that we see around us only can inform our experiences so much as to who we are. The true ascendancy of nature is not when the sun shines in its full glory or when we heal global warming or when one of these things that we, we have these conjure up that we control everything in the world, but it's rather when Torah is mandated on our world properly. That Adam thought the world is going, to, is, is, is going bad. The world's just getting worse. And when he realized the world is a good place and everything's going to be okay, he made a holiday. Made a yom it's more of a revolution to say the world's a good place than it is to say it's a bad place. Everybody in history throws up their hands and says the world's ending. The world's horrible. This generation's worse than our generation, that generation. Everyone says it. The pendulum goes this way, the pendulum goes that way. People don't realize but when Mashiach comes, what is Mashiach? Mashiach is not just a miracle worker. He's not someone who's going to create miracles. That is not the characteristic of Mashiach. The characteristic of Mashiach is that he'll return the Torah to its proper place as what is the governance of our world. What is the mandate of our world? It's not the sun cycles. It's not the lunar cycles. It's not the global warming. It's not the computers. It's not the quantum mechanics it's the torah and the torah is the one that dictates all of that stuff the torah is the thing that gives us our mandate for creation in the first place and by restoring the torah and first building the holy temple then bringing all the jews back to israel the third redemption and the third base of migdash is connected again to yaakov why to yaakov because again three 
Abraham, Isaac, Yaakov, Jacob. First holy temple. Second holy temple. Third holy temple will be built by Mashiach. Mashiach will build the third holy temple. And the third holy temple will be everlasting. The first holy temple was destroyed. The second holy temple was destroyed by the Romans. We're still living in that exile. The third holy temple will not be able to be destroyed by anybody because it will be built by God and the Jewish people together making the eternal edifice and thereby mandating the Torah on the world. The Torah, like, it's not a miracle that the Torah controls the world. It'll just be revealed. It'll just be the actualization of the fact that the Torah is the, in fact, blueprint of entire creation. So now let's talk about us. Let's talk about our job. So on page 282, it says, just as his children will be there at the end of exile, alive, and will be redeemed, so he also, Yaakov, will be there, alive and will be redeemed. In greater detail, encouragement to be strong for this entire period of exile until Mashiach comes, the true and complete Yula comes, when all of his children who are alive is because of the eternal life of Yaakov is accentuated and revealed through his children. I mean to say, we are the greatest testament to Yaakov, and thereby Judaism's everlasting life. The continuity, the actuality of his children and children's children till the end of generations, our generation, which we know we're the last generation of exile and the first generation of Mashiach, and that we conduct our lives day by day, day in, day out, walking in Yaakov's path. And through this, we actually bring about Mashiach. We bring about the future redemption that matches and corresponds to Yaakov. So this, that it says, there's a very beautiful footnote here we should read inside, actually, in the box. They don't always have that in the text. But note 134 on page 282. Our sages explain, it is from a verse that I explain is written, and you, my servant Yaakov, do not fear. And Israel, do not be fearful, because I will redeem you from afar and your children from the land of their captivity. We associate him to his children. That as children there will be there at the end of exile alive, will be redeemed. So he also, Yaakov, will be there alive and redeemed. Because this verse speaks of the future time of the redemption, the Gula. And in the time of the third holy temple, there will be also be a revealed sanctuary made of wood and, tree, and, and, and cedar. And Yaakov himself was the one who planted them and he commanded his sons to bring out of, bring them when they left on their way out of Egypt. So Yaakov, our father, did not die, but is alive for eternity, a soul within a body. The theme is emphasized in the Parsha, Israel bowed to the head of his bed, because his bed was perfect. Again, remember, Yaakov, all of his children were Jews. Abraham had one child who was not Jewish, or more than one actually, but the famous one is Yishmael. Ismael was not Jewish. He became the progenitor of the Arab nations. He was a son of Abraham. Esau was Yaakov's brother. So Yitzchak had Esau and Yaakov. Esau was not Jewish. He was the progenitor of the Roman or Western nations. But Yaakov, all of his children were perfect. Quote, unquote. They were perfect. His bed was perfect, it says. All of his children, his 12 children, and Dina, all remained faithful to the Jewish people. Jewish way, they became the 12 tribes of Israel 
and they are everlasting. That's who we are. We are all children of Yaakov. There are non-Jews walking around in this world right now who are children of Abraham. That's why it's called the Abraham Accords, the peace in uh, yeah. Israel, which is a beautiful thing. And then you'll have children who are walking around who are children of Esau, children of Yitzchak that are not Jews. But you don't have any children of Yaakov who are not Jewish. Everybody who's a descendant of Yaakov is a Jew. You know, the guy who, uh, you know, served you in the restaurant, he could be a child of Yitzchak. The girl who checked you out at the supermarket, she could be a child of Abraham. But if you run into a child of Yaakov, it's definitely a Jew. Definitely a Jew. One of the 12 tribes of Israel. So therefore, Yaakov says he bowed down to the head of his bed. He says, my sons, my children, the 12 tribes, and eventually my sons, my daughters, my sons, my daughters, all the children throughout their all generations reveal the eternality of my life. And their strength will redeem me. Their strength in diaspora and in exile and their departure will redeem me at the end of days when the redemption comes, when Mashiach comes. So one could say that the following wording of the text that we said before, his, if his seed is alive, he's alive, indicates that exile is a form of sowing. You reap what you sow. The what, what do you sow after you reap? Mashiach. Gula, redemption. The growth, the outgrowth of exile is automatically redemption. That our action, all of our actions and our deeds throughout the time of exile directly influence and correlate to the great miracles we'll see and the great world will view when Mashiach comes. So let's skip to now 284. Skip the next, uh, like that long paragraph there. And we'll end with, uh, with this amazing thought. I'm sorry, skip the, the, uh, to the bottom of uh, 284. The bottom, the, the long paragraph from 283 to 284. And then, so the Rebbe, the previous Rebbe, whose name was Yosef Yitzchak, he publicized the final redemption. And it's named after the first Yosef who publicized the redemption from Egypt. After Yaakov passed away, who publicized that eventually will go out? Who held on to that strength, that, that hope, that conveyance of truth? Yosef. If you want to look at who is the key to living in exile, it's not Abraham, it's not Isaac, it's not even Yaakov. It's Yosef. Yosef had the key to living in diaspora. He unlocked the secrets of what it means to be a Jew, not in Israel. What it means to be a, a person who's seemingly subservient to the non-Jews around us. Yosef gave us the... We're not going to go through Yosef's whole life. That was a couple of weeks ago's Parsha, about how he was successful in the face of the adversity that he found himself in, and eventually rose to be viceroy of Egypt. But just to understand it, Yosef knew what it meant to be a Jew in exile, and the purpose, the secret of exile. You know, you say a person experiences diaspora, exile, and they can throw up their hands and be like, this is who I am. We see many nations of the world who have been, God forbid us, enslaved. Or God forbid us, persecuted. And they keep that as their identity. They keep that as who they are. They define themselves that way. And they feel they're entitled to something because of that experience that they had. 
no one's justifying the horrific experience that their ancestors had. But I never want to define myself. I don't know about you, but I don't want to define myself as a victim. I don't want to define myself as someone who's like, oh, the horrors of who I've been. I should know about them for sure. But they shouldn't, the world shouldn't have to bear the brunt of the experience of my ancestors. And woe is me, I deserve. Rather, what is it? It is reaping so that you sow. It's planting. It's growing. It's working in the soil. It's digging in the dirt. It's putting seed. It's putting water. And it's eventually seeing that something grows forth from the negative experience from the dirt and the manure and the disgusting things that are in the ground, the worms, you see crops. You see fruits of your labor. Like you said before, you have to work. If, it's not, if you're not working for it, what is it worth doing? It's not anything that's worth doing, you have to work at. So here you see a very clear example of that by Yosef. Yosef understood the key to exile, that it was not exile as a means, that it was just a means unto itself. It's a means to an end. There's an re- end here. There's going to be a redemption. He warned and told the Jewish people, eventually there's going to be a redeemer that takes us out, who eventually was Moses in his time. But similarly in our time, the previous rabbi, whose name was also Yosef, Yosef Yitzchak, who my son you saw before is named after, and Yosef warned us and, 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 and um, announced to us and got us ready for the fact that Mashiach is about to come also. What did he say? He says, all of our actions to bring Mashiach have been completed. And just like God saw you in Egypt and he brought you out based on his promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, so too all of our actions right now have been completed as well. All the final dates for the arrival of Mashiach have already passed. The Jewish people have already done shuva, have already returned to Hashem. All the preparations are, that are necessary to be made for Mashiach have been completed in a way of a huge preparation. Everything that is ready for the feast of the future has already been prepared. And that we all have to do is open our eyes to witness the coming of Mashiach in everything, from everything, and everything in and of itself has led us now to this last moment's of exile and the future redemption has led us to the wondrous ways that we will see by Mashiach. The patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Sarah, Becca, Rachel, and Leah, got a foretaste of the next world. They got a foretaste of what it will be like when Mashiach comes. And therefore, in the future time, together, the, four, the three patriarchs and the four matriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Sarah, Becca, Rachel, and Leah, and all the twelve tribes, will finally... <clears throat> excuse me, raise up and be resurrected with the coming of Mashiach. They'll be at the head. They'll be at the, the, at the forefront of this experience. And so how wonderful it will be. And it's also, it shows us something very special that we couldn't have the 12 tribes of Israel without the mothers of Israel. So the mothers are really the head of the, of the fathers. So the fact is, is that Yaakov and his wives and their sons and their daughter are what is the conveyance of our power. And now we're living, it's the same template. If you could take like a, a, a template of it and juxtapose it, you would see the juxtaposition of everything that we experienced from the death or life, therefore, of Yaakov being completed until now, until the redemption through Moses. You took that template, the exile in Egypt, the slavery, the redemption through Moses, 
you could juxtapose that, superimpose that on what we're experiencing right now with Mashiach. We are the resurrection, in fact, of that generation. And all the horrors of exile that we have witnessed in our times is similar, commensurate with the exile that was experienced in the times of Egypt. But so too, the wonders that were shown with the splitting of the sea and the plagues and the, and the miraculous things we saw will also pale in comparison to what we're going to see when Mashiach comes. But yet the wonders will be commensurate. The wonders will be in that same vein. But they'll be so much greater, they'll be so much more miraculous that it'll blow it out of the water. So this is our time. This is our generation that we're the last moments of exile and the first generation of Mashiach, of redemption. So may it be Hashem's will that the decision is of itself. Each one of us takes on another mitzvah. Each one of us does the sowing and then therefore will bring forth the actual growth of redemption. And God willing, it happens even before Shabbos. And then we finish, we'll finish the book on Shabbos where it says, Chazak, Chazak, Venis Chazek. Strengthen us and we shall be strengthened. And therefore, that will be the ultimate strengthening of the coming of Mashiach now. It's very interesting. The word for leader in Hebrew is Nasi. Nasi. In, he, in Israel, they call the president Nasi, but he's not a Nasi. A Nasi is a true leader of the Jewish people, like Moses was a Nasi. And it stands for Nitzutzai Shal Yaakov Avinu. It's an acronym, it's a uh, Roshi Tevas. It's an acronym, a spark of Jacob, our father. That a leader, Mashiach, will have the spark of Yaakov. Mashiach will be the ultimate Nasi, the ultimate leader. And he is the one who carries forth the spark of Yaakov.